The message of John's gospel and the message of our 100 consecutive day effort is that you are, that we are so loved by God. God actually tells us that, that we are so loved by him. Now, I have noticed that there are some who think, who believe that they are outside of God's love. They are too far gone. They have messed up too greatly. They believe that, that surely God does not love them, that he could not love them. I've talked to folks and they've actually said, I don't, I don't see how God could love a person like me. And so there are some folks who sadly believe God's love is not for them. I've also noticed another set of people who believe that God's love is for them, but it's not for some others. They believe that God loves them. They're thankful for that. In, in their false humility, they receive that. But they honestly believe God excludes others from his love. And maybe it's their sin. Maybe it's where, they're, where they live. And maybe it's for no reason at all. But they believe God loves them, yes, but he doesn't love some others. Well, today I want to tell you the good news is we don't have to guess who God loves. We don't have to try and figure out with some formula who God loves. We don't have to be embarrassed that God doesn't love some. And we don't have to wonder why he doesn't love us. Because the truth is, for God so loved the world. Listen, he loves you. Today, God loves you. Well, today in our verses here at the end of chapter 9, we're going to see that truth. We're going to see God's love in practice. We're going to see it applied. Our message this morning is entitled, Blind Love. Blind Love. We're in John chapter 9, today verses 35 through 41. John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. Blind Love. I would ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 35, God's word says this. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who heard him, that were with him, heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come, we're rejoicing in you today. We're rejoicing in hope that endures today, peace that passes our understanding that we have today that's not, that's not tied to the events of the world, that's not tied to a pandemic, that's not tied to the economy, that's not tied to a political system. We're thankful for peace and hope and joy, all given in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today you would speak to us. 
I pray that it would be your voice that would speak. I pray that we would, Lord, be instructed and encouraged, taught today. I pray that those that do not know you, that in the hearing of good news, they couldn't turn away from it. They couldn't set it aside, but they would embrace it, Lord, and embracing it in faith that today, this very day, they might be saved. Lord, I, I do come, I pray that you would move in a supernatural way. I know this is not a, a college lecture, it's not a passing on of information, but it, is, but it is a supernatural event that you have ordained. I pray that you move in it. And then, Lord, I pray that in every bit of it, in the singing and the gathering, the baptisms, the preaching of the word, and every bit of it, the fellowship, every bit of it, that you are known, that you are glorified, and that you're pleased. Lord, we love you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our account today starts again with the healed blind man that has been brought before the Pharisees. Now remember the account. We've been going over it for several days. Remember, he was blind from birth. He had never seen. Now imagine that again. There was no time that he'd ever seen. He didn't know what colors were. He didn't know what shapes were by seeing them. He had never seen. Remember Jesus, after declaring that he is the light of the world, runs across this man as he's leaving the temple compound. Jesus has made those bold declarations. He is leaving the temple compound, and he comes across this man blind from birth. Well, the Bible says that he miraculously heals him. Now, understand, it is the biggest of deals. Uh, it is all the rage. It is all the talk. His family takes note of it. His neighbors take note of it. Many people are talking about it. So much so that his neighbors, now remember the neighbors, they take him to the Pharisees to try to figure it out, to try to see, well, is this of God? What has happened here? And so, so the neighbors grab the man, they take the man, and they take him to the Pharisees. Well, at that point, the Pharisees try and build a case against Jesus for breaking their Jewish law. Now, they hate him, that's a fact. They are actually seeking to kill him. The Bible's told us that. And so they use this as an opportunity not to learn of Jesus, not to see who the truth of Jesus, see who he truly is. They use it as an opportunity to add to his charges, to add to his case. They're going to kill him. They're seeking to turn the public world against him. And so they use the opportunity to add to the case. When repeatedly asked... The man that was healed gives his great answer in verse 25. Verse 25, remember, he says, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know, but one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. What a great answer that is. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I, these rules, they're not my rules. And he says, I, I don't know about all that, but I do know one thing, that though I was blind, I now see. Last night we see this man is bold. This man does not cave. His parents cave. All the neighbors cave. Uh, he is bold and he says he believes Jesus is from God. They say, who is he to you? He says, I don't know. I think he's a prophet. He says, I believe he is from God. And then we end with verse 34 last night. 
They answered him, you were born entirely in sins and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Let's go back there for a second. They hate this healed man. Verse, verse 28 says that they revile him. They, they hate this healed man. He didn't do anything. He got healed. He told the truth. I don't know who he is. I think he's a prophet. They hate the healed man. They insult him here in verse 34. They say, basically, you are a walking curse of God. The reason you were blind is because your parents had sinned and maybe you'd sinned and you were in that sin. And they basically say to the man, you are a walking scourge curse of God. And then there's the last line. So they put him out. Now I want you to understand this morning, that doesn't mean they set him out. It doesn't mean that they ran him out. It means they put him out of the temple. Uh, it was the threat that they made to the parents in verse 22. Basically, simply it means he was excommunicated from the Jews. They put him out of the temple. Now understand that. At the temple, they worshiped. Well, now he's cut off from worship. At the temple, they brought their offerings and sacrifices. It means he is cut off from bringing his sacrifices to God. It was, they considered, to be placed out of fellowship with God. Cut off from their faith. Here's what they actually thought. He was cut off even from God. And so they set him out. They put him out. They excommunicated. They believe they've cut him off even from God. So they put him out. There are some people that believe God loves them, but he doesn't love others. That's these people. And they, they think God loves them and they bask in that and they talk about that and they built a system around it. But he doesn't love this guy. There's no way. And he doesn't love others. I want you to picture this guy's week. Blind since birth. He is hopeless. He doesn't think he's going to get better. He doesn't even know what it is to be better. He can't imagine having sight. He doesn't really even know what that is. He's hopeless, totally hopeless, He's helpless. He's a beggar. He has to have somebody lead him around, take him over there. If he needs something, somebody has to help him do that. He is helpless. He is a beggar. And this week he meets Jesus. And in this marvelous, miraculous event, he gains his sight. And in the gaining of his sight, everything changes. His life changes. He has hope again. And so this man tells his religious leaders that he can see. Why wouldn't he tell him? He's, he's glad for it. He tells him he can see. He is bold, and he testifies. He's not going to lie. He tells the truth. And for that, he is put out of his religion. He is cut off. And now he stands on this day. He is now seeing, but he is disgraced. He is now seeing, but he is supposedly cut off. He is seeing, but he's out of fellowship with his people. Remember when the story started? He was considered cursed by God, 
and he was cut off from the people because of his blindness. Well, here he stands again on this day. Verse 35, let's go. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus heard what they did to the guy. He heard that the religious leaders put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Let me ask you a question. How compassionate is God? How compassionate is God? How, how concerned is he over even one person? As you sit there, you're that one person. Does he know where you're at? Does he know what your problem is? Does he know what you're thinking? Does he see you? Does he care for you? Even about one person? Or maybe you're traveling under the radar. Maybe there's so many folks he doesn't really know about you. He's not worried about you. Does he know about you? Well, notice here, Jesus, the Savior of the world, heard that they put him out, and it says he went and found him. I want you to imagine that for just a second. I, I, I pictured that for just a second. Imagine Jesus is looking for him. He hears they put him out. He knows what that means, and he goes looking for him. He actually goes after the man. That's what he does. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Praise the Lord. Listen to me. Our Savior is gracious, and he goes after this man. What a theme we keep seeing in the study of John. Our God is gracious. Finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Think about this. The religious leaders said, you can't worship God. They said, you can't offer sacrifices to God. They said, you can have no priest, no availability of a priest to be a go-between with God, and you no longer are a part of the people of God. That's what they said to him. But Jesus goes after him, and he has a different plan. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man. Now, the title Son of Man comes from the book of Daniel. Uh, they would have known it. This man would have known it. It refers to the Savior of God, the Messiah of God. And so when they hear the Son of Man, uh, they know it's talking about the Messiah. And so Jesus asks him here one question. He, he goes after the man. He finds the man. And finding him, he says, do you believe in the Messiah? Friends, I want you to hear me and understand today, that is still the question. That is still the question. And I'll just tell you, it is still the only question. Any other question is an add-on question. Any other question is a question that some person or somebody has added. There's still just one question. And the question is not, well, what is your past? Well, what have you done? Let me get the sheets out. Let's see what it is you've done. Who are your ancestors? Who can you claim? Let's get the roles out. No, the one question is this. Do you believe in the Messiah? Today, your question is the same. It's not about your past. It's not about your family. Not about your history. Not about your plans. The question today is still the same for you. Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Messiah? Verse 36. He answered, who is he, Lord, 
that I may believe in him. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? This man says, when asked the question, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? Now, remember from last night, he thought the one who healed him, he thought Jesus was a prophet from God. And so he asked Jesus, tell me who he is so that I may believe. Now, I want, to, I want you to be very clear in this. We need to be settled in this today. Get this this morning. Somebody has to tell him. Do you hear that? Somebody has to tell him, even looking for the Messiah. I want to believe is what he says. Even this man, he's gained his physical sight. Even this man, somebody has to tell him. Listen to me. Today, it is the same. People see God's goodness in creation. Maybe they see a change in your life. They can even long for a savior, for a hope, but somebody has to tell them. Somebody has to tell them we have a savior and his name is Jesus and he is our hope. Somebody has to tell him. He says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? Verse 37. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. What a, what a tremendous thing. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. Uh, remember earlier in, in John, Jesus says, I am he. And remember with the woman at the well, he says, I am that one. Well, now he says to this guy, you have seen him. And in fact, you're talking to him now. Can you imagine that? They've been looking for the Messiah. They've been talking for, about the Messiah. They need a Savior from God. And, and their hope is pinned on him. And he says, I want to know who he is. I'd love to believe in him. And he says, I am he. I'm the one you're talking to. You have seen him. Now, I love this part. He has seen him with physical eyes. He's about to see him with spiritual eyes. What an awesome thing, verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. He says, Lord, I believe. Plain as that. Nothing added to it. Lord, I believe. Now, what that means is when he says the, the Messiah that you, you've been looking for, you've now heard him, you've seen him, I'm the one. He says, I believe. It means I believe you're the one. I believe you're the sent one. I believe you're the promised one. I believe you're the saving one. I believe you're the only one. Lord, I believe. That's what he says. And just like that, he's saved. Do you know that? Well, you better go back in the temple and do these things. You better go back and impress that crowd. You better go make up with those folks. Nope. Just like that, he is saved. Paul would later write in the book of Romans, if we profess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, we shall be saved. And that's what happened. He believed in that instant. This man is saved. This man that was put out in hate is now placed in God's family. He's now placed in God's fellowship. He's now placed in Christ's own righteousness. He's now placed in life eternal, and it's all in God's love. We are so loved. 
We are so loved. Now I want you to watch this. It, it is awesome. It is awesome. It's telling. The verse then says, and he worshiped him. I believe. And he worshiped him. And he worshiped him. Now what that means is that, that word for worship, it means that he gave him, Jesus, his glory. He gave Jesus the glory that he was due. It means that he sees his place and he understands Jesus' place and he gives Jesus his place. It most literally means he exalted him. He exalted God. He exalted Jesus. And while the others around there were busy accusing Jesus, while they were busy insulting Jesus, while they were making plans to kill Jesus, this once beggar who had been put out is now worshiping Jesus. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you something. True belief, I've, I've come to believe this. True belief results in true worship. Do you know that? True belief results in true worship. True belief results in true worship. And I'll just have to tell you, it doesn't have to be pumped up. It doesn't have to be cranked up. It doesn't have to be trumped up. I don't need somebody to come and tell me to worship. I don't need someone to remind me, you've messed up and you need to get back to worshiping. True worship is the result of believing. It is natural. It is normal. It's what happens when you truly believe. Let me tell you something today. If you're having a hard time worshiping, you need to put your eyes back on Jesus. If you're having a hard time worshiping, well, this is bad and this is bad and life is here and I don't understand this and I don't know and I don't know and I don't know. You need to put your eyes back on Jesus because true belief will result in true worship. No one will have to crank it up in you. We won't have to play the music to get you to that place. You will worship when you truly believe. Let me tell you about this service. <laughs> I've been watching this service for 12 years. Let me tell you about this service. Let me tell you what this service is supposed to be. As believers, we are worshiping individuals. If you've been saved, if you've been forgiven, if you're right with, with God through Jesus Christ, you are a worshiping individual. Listen, that ought to be our deal as, as saved people. We ought to be worshiping individuals. That ought to, be, ought to be our normal thing. And it ought not just be on Sunday. It ought to be on Tuesday. And it ought to be on Friday. It ought to be when we're at our job. It ought to be when we're in our bed. As saved people, we are worshiping individuals. And so this is a meeting. It is a gathering of worshiping individuals. Do you see that? Here's a bunch of worshiping individuals and they believe in Jesus and they've been saved by Jesus and they can't help themselves and so they live in worship but now we assemble and this is a congregation of worshiping individuals. Now watch this. What that means is it becomes magnified. 
It becomes multiplied. That's what happens when you take one and add another and add another and add another. Let me explain it to you. There may be somebody, maybe like Charity, and they can sing a solo, solo of praise. Oh, I like to hear a solo there. Their life is a solo of worship, a solo of praise. But you know what's better than that? A trio. You know what I like a trio? A trio, put three voices together and let them, let them praise God together. You know what's better than that? A quartet. I like a quartet. Put a, put a quartet together and let them praise God. That's what happens when the church starts assembling. You know what's better than a quartet? A choir. A choir is better than a quartet. I like a quartet. I like a choir better. You know what happens when a choir gets together? Their voices merge and it's multiplied and they magnify the Lord. You know what's better than a choir? A mass choir is better than a regular choir. You know why? Because the voices are multiplied and the praise is magnified and Jesus is worshiped and that's what this hour is supposed to be. We should come in here. We ought to get here early. We can't stand it. We ought to be pushed out late because we can't stand it. We're going to give glory to Jesus. We're going to lift up his name. We're going to exalt Jesus. We're going to get baptized and yell hallelujah on the way out of the water. <laughs> Praise the Lord. When our church meets... People walking their dogs right now at the high school ought to say, good grief, what's going on over there? <laughs> Presbyterians next door ought to say, good grief, what's going on over there? Individual worship becomes multiplied worship. This man believed. Nobody told him. They didn't say, here's what you do next. He worshiped God. All right, let's go back to God's love. We almost changed sermons there. Let's go back to God's grace and his compassion to people, to us, to sinners. Jesus now uses this example of a blind man now seeing and as seeing people that are blind to explain it. That's what we're about to see. He uses this opportunity, he uses this situation to explain it. Verse 39. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Now, what in the world does that mean? That's crazy. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Now, this is a deep verse. There's no reason to be scared of it. It's an awesome verse. It is a great verse. This man is a beggar. He is hopeless. He is helpless. He is living in darkness. That's all he can see. And he has been saved. He has believed and been saved. Now, Jesus, listen to me. He uses this opportunity, and he says this. For judgment I have come into the world, so that those who do not see, those are blind, may see, and those who see may become blind. Again, what in the world is that saying? It starts off, and it says, for judgment, Jesus says, I have come into the world. 
Didn't Jesus just say he didn't come in the world to judge the world? John chapter 3. But he came in the world to save the world. Isn't that what he just said? He didn't come in the world to judge the world, to condemn the world. He came in the world to save the world. And so is this already a contradiction? Let me tell you something. There's a lot of folks that think that it is, and they start trying to explain it away, and they use all these fancy ways to explain it away. Stay with me. It is not a contradiction. It is the same message. Jesus says here, watch the words, for judgment, I came into this world. It means because of judgment, I came into this world. Jesus says, stay with me, in John chapter 3, we are judged already. And because we are judged already, because of judgment, for the reason of judgment, he comes into the world. He comes to save us from judgment. Listen, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not a contradiction. He comes because of judgment to save us from judgment. That is the gospel. Seeing us in our sin, seeing us in our guilt, seeing us in our hopelessness, he comes to save. For judgment, he comes. It says that the blind one will see. Now what that means is, those that are spiritually blind, the one that exists in darkness, remember the example of the man, the one that knows they are hopeless, the one that knows they are helpless, to the blind, he gives them sight. That's exactly what happened to that guy. This man was a picture of that. Now both physically and now spiritually, I was blind. I knew I was helpless. I knew I was hopeless. I knew I was in darkness. But in Jesus, now I see. Listen. But to the one who is self-trusting, to the one who is self-righteous, listen, to the one who can see no need for a Savior because they think they can see, they will be blind. Listen to verse 40. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we're not blind too, are we? I think it's interesting. Some of the Pharisees have followed him. Now, some of the Pharisees are close by and they hear this and showing their pride, showing their arrogance, hating this healed man, hating the Savior Jesus, they say, we're not blind too, are we? Verse 41. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Jesus says in verse 41, if you were blind, if you knew you were hopeless, if you knew you were helpless, if you were tired of the darkness, I would save you and you would have no sin. But since you say we're fine like this, since you say we're safe in ourselves, since you say sin is not our issue, it may be somebody else's, but it's not ours. Since you say we're fine on our own, your sin remains. Now, I can't help but think of the verse from a couple nights ago, and they will die in their sin. Listen to me this morning. If you do not see your sin, 
you will not seek a Savior for sin. And if you do not seek, if you do not want a Savior for sin, you will not find one. You know what? If you're, if you're so thick-headed, you can go through life and say, you know what? I'll be my own Savior. I don't, I don't need some superstition. You know what? Sin's not my problem. I got a lot of problems, but sin is not one of them. If you don't see your sin, you won't look for a Savior for sin. And if you don't look for a Savior, you won't find one. Today, it's no different. Listen, God loves all people, all of them, all of them. God's grace is for all people, all of them. The cross is paid for the sins of all people, all of them. And he offers sight and salvation and light to all people. Here's the issue. Do you know you need a Savior today? Do you realize who you are without a Savior? Do you realize the cost of your sin? Are you tired of walking in darkness? Do you know you're hopeless and helpless and alone outside of Jesus? Or are you still pretending that you're fine? You see, our world's made us experts at pretending we're fine. Are you still willing to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's fine? What a week of verses we passed through this week. I'll just tell you, wow. What a week of verses we've passed through. And I can tell you today, more than I could have ever told you, our God is so gracious. I, I thought he was gracious. I knew he was gracious. He's more gracious then I thought, our God is so patient. I, I read these last four or five days. Our God is so patient. Wouldn't you like to just stomp on these Pharisees? He, he is so patient. He desires that you would be saved. God desires that you would be saved, whoever you are. Whoever you are, he desires that you be saved. But if you'll not be saved, you'll die in your sins. He loves us enough. He's kind enough to tell us the truth. You'll die in your sins. But listen to me today. He so loves you that he comes after you. Today, there is a hesitancy to say that Jesus, our king, comes after you. There, there are some folks that say, you know what, we don't like saying that. There is a hesitancy to say that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. We don't like that picture of Jesus. That's not what it's talking about. Our king's not standing at some measly door knocking. That's what they say. There is a hesitancy to say the Savior is waiting. What? He is waiting? And people think it, it humiliates and belittles Jesus to say that the Savior of the world would come after you. Let me just ask the question, well, what do they think the cross was? You think it's humiliating to stand at the door and lock 
and knock. You think it's, it's humiliating to come and to seek sinners. You try being stripped naked and you try being nailed to a cross to pay for the sins of those sinners. Listen, the truth of the gospel is he so loves you that he comes after you. That's what this message is. That's what the cross is. That's what this gospel is. He comes for you. And it is a blind love. Let's pray. Remember, Father, we come, and I'm so thankful for your grace. And I'm so thankful we're not saved through a religious system of men, man. I'm so thankful that you love us. I'm so thankful that you send your son to save us. I'm so thankful that you send the gospel to tell us of your love and our, of, our, of our Savior. Lord, I pray the fruit of this today is this. We would know we're loved, but we would also know we're sinners. We'd also see our sin. We'd see the, the call, the hurt, and the damage, the death we've earned in our sin. And that seeing that sin, that we would turn our eyes to the Savior for sin that came in love, that we would receive your grace and your love in faith, and in doing so like this beggar, we would be saved. Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, I pray that this, this message resonates. I pray that your word goes out. It doesn't return empty. I pray that it bears much fruit. And I pray that every, every ounce of it is for your glory. In this time of invitation, Lord, I ask that you would move. I ask that you would speak. I ask that you'd remove the hindrances that make us not willing to listen. And I pray that today we'd be confronted with the truth of your love and your grace and your salvation. And I pray, Lord, that we would see the light of the world and we would receive you in faith and be saved. Lord, we love you. We do praise you. We do worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I, I say it, it truly is the most important time of our service. It's the most important time of anything we do to call people to believe in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Let me tell you the good news today. The good news is God loves you. And he sees us in our sin. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He sees us in our sin. He loves us. He sends a way that we'd be saved. He sends a way that we could have fellowship with him. He sends Jesus, he comes, he lives a life, he never sins. Because he doesn't sin, he's able to offer himself in our place, in our stead. And that's what he does at the cross of Calvary. That's why he goes there. Because you sin and I sin, he takes our guilt, our punishment, our shame, the filth of sin. He takes it to the cross of Calvary and God's wrath towards sin is poured out on him. It's satisfied in him. The wages, the payment for sin is death. He pays it in love. They take him off of that cross. He's dead. The, the penalty is paid. They put him in a grave. Penalty paid in blood, in death. Three days later, he walks out of that grave, Easter Sunday morning. He stands as the risen Savior. He has defeated death. He has paid for sin. He stands as the perfect risen Lamb of God. And here's the deal. By faith in him, not good works, not church membership, not baptism, not some other thing. By faith in him, just like this guy, 
You are saved. I am saved. We are saved. Here's the deal. Either you're ready to trust that today or you're willing to keep walking in blindness. You're willing to keep walking and say, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Either you're willing to receive his grace today or you'll deny it and walk out and you'll carry your sins as you do. Listen, God has made the way today. His grace is offered to you today in the person of Jesus. Here's my cry to you, settle it today. Settle it today. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Settle it today. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, reach out for him today. Turn to him today in faith. He will save you this very day. He will save you today. If you've made that decision, maybe it was recently, maybe it was now, maybe it was in the past, but you've never fallen in believer's baptism, the Bible says it's always by immersion. It's always after we're saved. It's a testimony of what we believe of Christ, that he died and was put in the grave, that he came out of the grave victorious. It's a picture of what we believe of ourselves in Christ, that we've died with him, we now live and walk through him. And so if you've never fallen in believer's baptism, you come as well. We'll set a date just the way we did this morning. We'll celebrate just the way we did this morning, and it'll testify to our Savior, Jesus. If you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, and you believe God has led you here, you come as well. Together, we'll uphold his word. We'll preach his gospel. We'll exalt his name until he comes again. Maybe on this Sunday morning, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. I'm going to ask no one would stir about or head for an exit during this time. Pray for those that are making decisions. If God has spoken to you today, you step out and you come on. As we stand to sing, if you have a decision to make, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here.